This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And it's 29 degrees outside, but it's warm and comfortable here in the inside. If you'd like to be part of today's program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800-848-922. And we'll be more than happy to take your telephone calls. We should have Mark Stein coming up. Our Tuesday treat. So much in the news. Some of it down in Georgia, where uh, the president and vice president are both making an appearance. And this is to, uh, well, to boost this notion that the Senate filibuster needs to be done away with on a one-time basis so that the Democrats can pass their phony John Lewis voting rights bill. They're still acting as if this is the 1960s and nothing in America has changed or nothing is good. And we're still fighting the battles of the civil rights movement in the mid-60s. That's how Democrats are operating. This is the the funny thing about it. In the 1960s, Democrats would be proud to tell you what's in their bills because they believed in them and because the country needed them. There was injustice that Americans could see from sea to shining sea that needed to be corrected. And so the Democrats and Republicans came up with, in some cases, bipartisan legislation. If you know your history, you know that it was also Democrats who opposed the civil rights legislation. It was Democrats in Georgia. It was Democrats in North Carolina. It was Democrats in South Carolina, Democrats in Mississippi, Democrats in Louisiana, Democrats in Alabama. That would be Democrat, especially there, George Wallace. Now, you remember him. I say segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. That was Democrat George Wallace. And his old good old mate back then was Lester Maddox, Democrat. Georgia, where right now 
you don't have any of the problems that existed back then. Because Democrats in the South have been driven out of office in most places. But you have Democrats still trying to pretend. And this is particularly insulting because what they are saying, folks, and and I'm sorry, I, I hate to go here. But what they're saying is that you white people are hopelessly racist, that you all are hopelessly evil. It, you, you white people in Los Angeles, y'all are cool. You know, y'all white people in San Francisco, some of y'all are cool. Y'all white people in New York, well, you know, you're okay, some of you. Especially if you live in the Hamptons. But what they're saying is that white Americans from all over the country haven't changed. What they're saying is that they want the same kind of voting rights that took place in the 1960s to take place now because you people haven't changed and you people, you non-black people want to hurt black people and you haven't changed. You're not live and let live. America is not a place where people can still do well based on merit, based on how much they're willing to invest into their own lives and into the lives of their families. What they're saying is fundamentally, no matter all the changes that you have seen sweep across society, the civil rights movement, the movement of technology as we moved into space, the movement of technology as we moved into a digital society, the big changes that have, that have happened in agro-farming. This country is in no way where we were in the late 1950s. In fact, if you go back through some of the new retrospective movies on Lucy and Desi, one of the most amazing things is how brilliant Lucy and Desi were with Desi Lou Studios and how they were able to pretty much take over RKO's mammoth operation and turn it into something even larger and better. But the other important thing is how society has changed. And those changes were just getting underway in the 1960s, early 1960s. In the 1960s, if you were a black family driving from New York into any of those areas, you were driving through Virginia, Virginia, driving on down through the Rockies, North Carolina, South Carolina, 
heading over to Florida, or you decided to take that good old right turn and go through Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, you... Those were very often treacherous trips. You didn't, your safety was not guaranteed traveling in your own country. Of course, you can argue with criminals the loose on today is Democrats have let them loose to terrorize American citizens in almost every major city. It is. What's the difference? Well, there's a big difference. Back then, it was driven by racial hatred and animus. And that America has been gone for decades. Yet Democrats keep on trying to insist that the people of this country haven't changed from then, and they're not going to change. Joe Biden and his woke progressive Democrats get rid of the filibuster this one time so they can vote for this one big massive civil rights era legislation. And it is all political theater. There is no reality to it. This is James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdling. Again, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800-848-WABC. We are coming right back. Don't go away. Entertaining and informative, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. Ah, yes, indeed. Sufficiently majestic enough. To introduce America's undocumented anchor man. The one, the only, Mark Stein. Welcome, Mark. How are you? It's Tuesday. So glad you're here. Like uh, listening to a masterclass at uh, at radio announcer school. Oh, that's fantastic! That's fantastic! I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes. That was brilliant. Oh my goodness, Mark! I'm the one that should be taking notes. Okay, you know, Mark. I'm looking back at some of the Mark. Some of my favorite music. This is a little bit. And I know we have other things to discuss, but I always love discussing music with you. Mark, you know Superfly is 50 years old this year? Yeah, that's that's one of those uh, statistics. I was I re- I remember I used to do this stuff as as the years go by. So you start thinking, well, that's uh that was a hit in 1972. So if I still think it's groovy and hip, that's like me in 1972 telling me about some exciting uh, song from 1924. And then you think, well, who was that? Ukulele Ike? Right. <laughs> and you think, and in fact... Uh, the Mills Brothers. 
And it's like, uh, and you think, and that's like the guy in 1924 uh, listening to the oldies station, which only plays wax cylinders from the 1890s, <laughs> which I don't even think uh, WABC does on uh, its uh, weekend music shows. Right. Uh, so there's, uh, so so you you could really freak yourself out when you start thinking like that. Well, let me ask you a question seriously about that. I mean, you know, you you are fortunate enough to actually see what life is like, not just here, but across the pond and other places. So when you go to when you go to Europe, and we've all, those of us here that are connected with the music industry, even in the periphery, we've always heard that Europeans had a much a much different approach toward uh, appreciating the the classicness of music. And so things that we wouldn't pay attention to, for instance, they would still celebrate. Artists here that wouldn't get much attention were still being celebrated for their achievement. Do you think as we moved into pop music, and now pop music is, is what, almost 100 years old? Do you think that that's still... Well, you always think it's going to be like that. I remember making a film for the BBC in Hungary many years ago, and we just wanted to just to sort of put a button on it to get uh, some footage of some guy playing traditional Hungarian gypsy music in a Hungarian restaurant. And uh, and it was the very last thing on the shoot. So we had like a plane to catch and we were in a bit of hurry and whatever. And But how difficult that can that be? So the director takes me into the first restaurant and, uh, the, uh, and, and instead of traditional Hungarian gypsy music, there's a guy in a ruffled red shirt with an electronic keyboard playing the girl from Ipanema. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and so we think, well, this just must be a freak thing. Let's go to the next one. And there's another guy in a differently colored ruffled shirt playing, come on, baby, light my fire. <laughs> 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 and uh, and so by the time we get to the seventh restaurant, we've given up on that plan, and we actually, you know, fake it, and we uh, and we book a room, uh, put a couple of dining tables in it, and fake up a Hungarian gypsy band to put in the thing. So you you always you you know you always uh, you always get that that kind of a thing. I'm always. I'm always sort of amazed at how much f- there are certain sounds that, you know, will always evoke a time and a place and whatever. And then there's so much, 95% of stuff that just falls away and is lost forever. And it's and it's fascinating to me that. Well, do you think people like Elvis Presley 100 years from now, uh, Elvis was, uh, his birthday was last weekend, 87 years old. Um, do you think a hundred years from now people are going to remember the artistry of some of the rock and roll giants? I listened to uh, Jimi Hendrix, one of the first uh, one of the first concerts that he did as a solo artist in his own mm. uh, under his own name. And I mean, I listened to this, and this thing had to be what fifty, sixty years old now, and it's freaking brilliant. Yeah, that's that's the one one of the things I find interesting because what happened in 1955 is that uh, pop music, uh, essentially the teenager was invented. So pop music became part of being the attitude of youth. So you have people like The Who come along and start 
uh, singing Hope I Die Before I Get Old. And now uh, all the members of The Who are like 112. <laughs> and, they're like, and they're like 75 years past the sell-by date of that song. Uh, you know, I, I once rode in an elevator at the BBC uh, with the Rolling Stones, and it was incredible to me. Uh, they, like, aged a decade with every floor. It was, like, kind of creepy. <laughs> to, to be uh, to be uh, to be in there, and I and, and so I find, which which isn't the way with pop music. People used to be young, uh, you know. When uh, whoever you want to take Debbie Reynolds when she sang Tammy, Tammy, Tammy's in love or whatever. It was. Oh yeah, Tammy's uh, in love. Uh, and she uh, Debbie Debbie Reynolds. You know, when when she died a couple of years ago, looked a well-preserved woman of a certain age, whereas uh, some of these guys from The Who and The Rolling Stones, uh, there's this cult of youth. But they're people who are they they're like they're like people who've come out of Jurassic Park <laughs> twelve. <laughs> you have no idea what mutation was required to produce people like this. I love it. Now, speaking of things not looking quite right, I have been stunned with the optics of what is going on. You have Joe Biden, Kamala Harris down in Georgia Hmm. to point and wag their finger at everyone and say, you're still racist. You're still in the 1960s. And this is supposed to be a big moment for Democrats. And yet the biggest Democrat in Georgia, Big Mama, Big Mama doesn't even show up for the event. Stacey Abrams, yeah. hey, I got I got scheduling problems. Go blow. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't think there are enough states in the union for Stacey Abrams to put between her and Joe Biden. She doesn't want to be seen with him or Kamala because they're losers and they're uh, their numbers are in the dumpster, and everything they do is incredibly pop- unpopular, and everything they touch turns to garbage, and they're not talking about anything that matters to anybody who has the misfortune to live in the real world. And you can say what you like about Stacey Abrams, but she gets that basic dynamic, and she doesn't want to be... If she thought she wants to be governor of Georgia, she wants to be... Uh, vice president and possibly president. And she doesn't think that Joe and Kamala are in the least bit helpful to her ambitions. And that's always the biggest tell in politics. Is somebody else prepared to stand next to you on a stage? And no one wants to stand next to Joe Biden right now. Well, okay, what's going on with the Republicans? You know, for years, I thought that the Republicans were kind of like the Ken doll, especially Republican men. Mm. Mm. Okay, they're like Ken dolls. <laughs> Everything looks good till you take off the clothes. Yeah, that's, and then like, that's, the... <laughs> that's, that's like my Mitch McConnell doll. It's exactly when you take off the clothes, there's just nothing down there. Just, right, there's uh, a void. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and so all of a sudden there have been like sprouts, growth sprouts of, of, of like maybe, we, maybe we're growing a set because they're pretty much egging Chuck Schumer on. They're saying, you want to kill the filibuster? Good. We've got a bunch of bills we want to pass. And yeah. we have, and Democrats may join us. So let's go. And this is not, um, this is, this is, how did the Democrats misplay something like this? 
Well, I think they were actually surprised by all that uh, January 6th rubbish uh, last week. They basically wanted to make January... They basically wanted to make America live in January the 6th forever and ever. And, uh, and you know, if you talk to people, you can, you can find nice ladies who, of a certain age, you listen to NPR, and they think that what happened on January the 6th a year ago was terrible... But they looked, they then, all these people looked at uh, what Chuck Schumer was doing, where he claimed to have been under threat of his life or whatever he said. He said he was subject to uh, all these threats and attacks and everything. And Jay, they just thought, uh, no, these guys are actually, the comparisons to 9-11, the comparisons to Pearl Harbor. Uh, this, so it, it died, that whole thing where they did the day. And the Hamil, and the number from Hamilton... <laughs> I tell you, that guy I mentioned from the restaurant in Budapest uh, playing Common Baby Like My Fire in a Ruffled Shirt, they'd have been better to book that guy than the cast of Hamilton. <laughs> and in fact, I, I, don't, I don't do a lot of political consulting, but if any uh, potential candidate wants to give me $2 million, the first thing I'll tell him is don't book the cast of Hamilton for anything. Uh, that, that, that actually, uh, that whole thing was uh, stillborn. It was a complete flop. And I, I, think, I, think it, I think it sort of opened up a bit of space uh, for the uh, Ken dolls to, uh, to, to uh, as is fashionable these days, to transition into... into <laughs> <laughs> Republicans are transitioning. Yeah. <laughs> they may not be coming men, but they're not going to be what they were. No, no, they're transitioning away from the Ken model uh, to something closer to G.I. Joe. I think that's how it's going. <laughs> so what do you expect to happen here? You've got... Um, You've got this. We still know now that they they try to every year they try to. Oh, sorry, this is just going to be a horrible pun. They try to milk MLK every yeah. year. They try to milk it for what they as if somehow or another all they've got to do is evoke Dr. King's name and whatever they want should happen. So every year they try to milk Dr. King's name. This year we're going to bring this vote before the uh, floor. Uh, to kill the filibuster before Dr. King's birthday, and w- what do you think happens here when you when you when you look at the uh, the crystal ball? Well, you know they've got to make a calculation, and one of the things you have to worry about is that is that Democrats always figure it's worth the risk because they're betting against Republicans having the guts to undo something. And Republicans, you know, you can take peripheral things like uh, the existence of the Department of Energy, for example, which Republicans have opposed since Jimmy Carter created it. It's it's in in the party's platform, yet they never actually get around to doing anything about it. So, So the calculation the Democrats make is whether the Republicans actually would muster the will to undo what they do. And and there and there Chuck Schumer says, you know, I'm brilliant at numbers and all the rest of it, but the but the problem for them 
is back in the real world. You know, they could probably get away with this if this was the, you know, like Obama with Obamacare. America didn't want it, but he rammed it down their throats because he was he was confident that the broader climate would let him get away with it. Right now, the broader climate, which is inflation, uh, a supply chain that's kaput, a humiliated America in Afghanistan with China actually leaping ahead and outpacing America with hypersonic weapons and all the rest of it, uh, an open border, uh, COVID, which all the, you know, oh, I'm going to listen to the, I'm not like Donald Trump, I'm going to listen to the science so COVID will go away. And Joe Biden has actually killed more Americans than he accused Donald Trump of killing. So the broader climate just kills the Democrats. And, and, uh, and, and they'd be, they'd be actually, I think, committing, uh, they, they, they've, that's the, that's what they have to weigh. Their political ambitions, against a wider climate where Joe and Kamala are regarded as generally useless and incompetent and have made things worse. Now, me, you've got all of that going on, and there was a story today in AmericanWireNews.com, uh, AmericanWireNews.com, that, that uh, Critical Race Theory Program is teaching disabled preschoolers, disabled Pre, pre, preschoolers, that whiteness affects everything. It is, what is, what is, what sense does anyone, what sense do you make of any of this? Well, I I regard that as child abuse because I think one one of the interesting things about uh, young children is they, they don't actually have a sense of, past and present and future in the same way that you do when you get a little bit older. So they, they, you know, read old books and they're not aware the story is set in the 17th century because they don't have any concept of the 17th century. So it's actually a terrible, abusive thing to take a three-year-old and get them reduced to the sort of reductive way of looking at things of of our uh, of our particular moment like this uh, like this critical race theory but also just to go back to what i was saying about china it's nothing you know we don't actually teach anything worth learning in these schools because you know Ooh. china teaches its china teaches its children arithmetic California, for example, right. teaches its schools that arithmetic is racist. So who's the, the future going to belong to? Uh, the country that uh, teaches arithmetic or the country that teaches arithmetic is racist? It's not, that's not a hard question to answer. If you want America to slip further down these league tables uh, than, it, than it already does... Uh, then this is the way to do it. Then this is the way to do it. Keep wasting, keep wasting it. They're in there for a few hours a day. And there's plenty of arithmetic. There's plenty of geography. There's plenty of uh, physics and history and Latin and chemistry and all kinds of things that you should be teaching before you teach them critical race theory. Mark Stein, where do people find you on television? I'm at uh, GB News, and uh, I'm working harder than I've uh, worked in quite a while. But you can, you can see me. Uh, actually, if you, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but it, it, the replay, which is very convenient for North American viewers, is uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can watch from more or less anywhere on the planet at gbnews.uk. Mark Stein, ladies and gentlemen, we are so happy to have him with us each and every Tuesday. Thank you, Mark. Cannot wait until next Tuesday. And, you know, one of these days, Mark, I don't know how we're going to – first of all, I hate asking you to do stuff because you, you are the busiest man in showbiz, right? But I, I really do want to figure out how maybe we can schedule some time. You and I can just do a kind of one-off podcast on um, yeah. some of the big cultural – some of the big cultural leaps that have taken place over the last 50 years in America. Maybe a two- or three-part series podcast. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, a, very, that's a very good idea. I, I, I'd be all in favor of that. That's, uh, you know, because you know, people are always surprised. That's like what we, what we used to talk about in the breaks during Rush and all the rest of it. We could, uh, we could certainly do that. Absolutely. Mark Stein, thank you for being with us. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. We'll be back with your calls. Don't go away. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. <laughs> Thanks, Rich. Say it's all right. Curtis Mayfield. Say it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, Rich it's said, well, the reason I was laughing when I came back, Rich was telling me in my ear, so yeah, you know, we're going to have to order Superfly. But I do have some Curtis Mayfield, so here we go. Yeah. Um, I was listening to the to the uh, Superfly. I tried to watch it. Just so you know, Rich. I tried to watch Superfly. I could not get through it. It's like this movie is so bad. It is so terrible. <laughs> It's so terrible. I didn't even remember it. I know I must have seen it at the time, but uh, it was terrible. I couldn't get through the whole thing 50 years later. Okay, so there are some stories here, and then we can head to the telephones. Let me go through. One of them is a CBS News story. Six million families face January without a child tax credit. And there's a quote that follows that headline. There will be times I won't eat. And this is, uh, now these usually, I have to say, again, optical, optical surprise. You usually don't see these kind of stories coming out of the mainstream media when Democrats are in power. They usually save these for when they can try to use them as a cudgel against Republicans in power. For the last six months, 36 million families received the monthly check from the IRS through the expanded child tax credit, a cash infusion that helped pay for groceries, buy school uniforms, ease the cost of raising kids. When did we pass the law? No, we didn't. You see, they just started porting money through a program that they already had in existence. And no one really passed the thing into law. Anyway, now families are facing the first month since July without getting a government check, even as inflation hits a 40-year high. This is coming from CBS News. Ooh, CBS acknowledges inflation under Biden 40-year high. 
COVID-19 cases surge and the government's not handing out money, not handing out millions of dollars to 36 million families. They go on to lament over at CBS that if President Joe Biden's Build Back Better Act had passed, families would have received a CTC payment. I I don't even know what C, oh, child tax credit. Yeah, the CTC payments. Because the, but CTC went away. But grocery prices haven't gone down, says Stormy Johnson, 44, a single mother of three. Single mother, three kids? Hmm. In West Virginia, Joe Manchin territory. So they're taking a little swipe here at Joe Manchin, too, you see. Now that I don't have that payment, she says, the reality of life is that there will be times I won't eat to make sure my kids can. Well, my dear, I'm really sorry to hear that life is going to be very difficult for you like that. And parents used to do that all the time. It's called sacrifice. She says she brings home about 2200 a month after taxes. And 1600 of that is earmarked toward her rent, her car, and her car insurance. She's a working mom. She's trying to make it. And she, was, she had grown dependent, which Democrats want, on getting a direct checked welfare payment from the government that no one really authorized as a law. It just they smuggled it through another program that was existing. That was in existence. Let's just put the money in that. So 36 million families now are going to be facing life without the child tax credit money that is running out. There is a big story over at Fox News headline. Uh, Let's see if I can find it really quickly. Yes, here it is. Education Secretary Cardona solicited the NSBA letter comparing protesting parents to domestic terrorists. That's an email that came out. Bombshell. Our education secretary was the one that was working with this National School Board Association, which has since, by the way, lost members because this was such a blatantly political move that got annoyed with parents that are annoyed with these critical race theory lessons that are spreading, that, by the way, Merrick Garland, Attorney General, family is benefiting from, apparently. Second story may be related. The Justice Department, the Democrat Party, DOJ, has formed a new domestic terrorism unit. And what are they going to do? Why, they're going to investigate suspected domestic violent extremists. Hmm. Maybe like those parents who don't want CRT, CTR in their schools. Okay, Rich, telephones, where do we go? All right, good afternoon, James. Let us begin in Newburgh, New York, and speak with Mike. 
Hello, Mike. Welcome to WABC Talk Radio 77. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. Hello, James. An honor speaking to you. Keep up the great work, too. You're a, a beacon of uh, common sense here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you're very welcome. Um, I want to know something. This November, say there's a bloodbath and the Republicans gain, make huge gains. What what would constitute a supermajority where they could really pass corrective measures without being ve- a threat of veto or anything like that? Or is that a fantasy? I'm just wondering. It is not a fantasy. Okay. In fact, it is within reach. What we'd have to do is make a pickup of 10 seats in the Senate. And we'd really, for safekeeping, we'd have to win 11 seats in the Senate. We're already two or three within two or three of the House. If we actually did a plus 20 seats in the House so that you could have uh, Republican defections and still survive on bills, then what we would do is hand over to the Republican Party House and Senate a supermajority that Joe Biden could not get anything passed. Now, unless, of course, it got passed with those Republican votes, which should mean that it would be potentially, quote-unquote, legislation that Republicans would want, like Keystone Pipeline, for instance, and reversing the kind of policies that this administration has already put in place that have so woefully damaged this economy. This could happen. Now, if we added on that, and then we were able to have a victory again in November 24, 2024, and we were able to attain the White House, retain a Senate with a clear supermajority, 60 seats or more, and have a House, we could go a long way toward correcting what this Biden administration has put in place. Now, that would also require for us to do it to have a rhino washout. And there are 13 rhino Republicans in the House that need to go this election cycle. They are the 13 rhinos that gave Joe Biden and the Democrats their victory on this alleged infrastructure bill. And we've got one right here in New York, Staten Island, among those 13 Republicans that needs to go. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly, back with more of your calls right after this. Now, here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Oh, my goodness. Stay there. Marvin and Tammy. Ain't nothing like the real thing. Marvin Gaye, Tammy Bring us back on 77 WABC.
Oh, such memories. Rich, thank you. Where are we going next on the phones? We're going to go down to the sunshine state of Florida in Melbourne and speak with Marilyn. Hello, Marilyn in Melbourne, Florida. How are you this afternoon? Hi, Mr. Snurdly. Well, how comforting to hear your voice again. I don't know if you remember me. I'm like, called, talked to you and Rush about half a dozen times over the past 20 years. My last call was the Bowen Branch. Jeez, I couldn't get through to Rush after that again when I Yes, I remember you, darling. Yes, of oh course. Oh, my God, I'm on, like, my 15th set of sheets now, and I think I bought everything from the store, everything they have. <laughs> Every time I get a new set of sheets, I say, thank you, Rush. <laughs> oh, God. Anyways, um... When did your book come out? Was it the end of November? My book came out at the end of November, Rush on the Radio. That's what I thought. Yeah, I have it sitting on my table. I'm, my husband said when you're ready to read it because I'm, it, it's, it really hurts still. I mean, I'm sure you know the feeling. Oh, do I? Yeah, I know you do because you guys were my family, you know, 20 years every day. I mean, I was going into a store. I stopped to listen to Rush's opening and everything. So, But anyways... Um, he decided, my husband decided to surprise me and get the book for Christmas, and he was gone a long time, and then he told me after he gave it to me for Christmas, he said, uh, he was in this bookstore for 40 minutes trying to find the book, and he, two girls were looking around, looking around everywhere. This was, he's, he's not a shopper at all. I think this was on the 23rd, and, uh, finally, he finds some girl comes in the back. She comes out with like 25 books stacked up in her hand. Gee, I, went, I don't know where these came from. These were still in a box way in the back. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And so she said, I guess I'll have to try to find some room for these. Well, he he told me that, and I was really, really mad. So I went in there like a week week after that, first week of uh, second, January 2nd, I 3rd, I think, to look for a calendar. And so I'm snooping around to see if your book's there. Nope. No sign of it anywhere. I'm all over the place in the bookstore. So I asked the cashier, oh, I have no idea. She she goes to, to get one of the uh, head honchos over there. Gee, I don't know where it's at. And so she finds them again in the back. I says, are you trying to suppress this book? I, I mean, I don't see what the problem is. This book's been out over a month now. Oh, no, 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 no. <coughs> yeah. And so then I decided to call the other um, big bookstore um, in the area and it shows it on the website because I was furious at this point. Well, they could nobody could find it in the store, but uh, they still haven't. They said when they find it, they'll give me a call back. I mean, this. Is, <laughs> yeah, sure you know, know um, and Marilyn, first of all, thank you. I don't like to come and whine and complain, especially since I've been so blessed. And thank you for and your husband. Thank him for me, please, for making sure that we persistently got the book. You know, I and, and I'm not one of these people that likes to whine. Look, for instance, we sold more books during a certain period of time than many of the books that made it to the New York Times bestseller list. And, of course, my book never appeared on the New York Times bestseller list. And the New York Times will tell you it's more than book sales. It's what our editors think, too. So, I mean, it, if you expect liberals to treat you fairly or to treat people that are conservative fairly or to base things on merit, it's not who they are. They carry their political hatreds with them, and they do everything they can to actively hurt people that they think are um, disagreeable to them. They don't know me. They don't know what's in the book, apparently. They never met Rush. They don't know what Rush was like. But we just plow through instead of it, and we and, and just try to be cheerful. And I want to thank you 
for for number one bringing this to our attention in Florida. Um, and go ahead and mention the name of the bookstore that 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 hid the book, please. And Books a Million, but Barnes and but like I said, I haven't heard back from Books a Million, but it was Barnes and Nobles. So okay, yeah. Um, well, thanks, Barnes and Nobles. Appreciate it. Appreciate the help there, and not and making sure that you hid the book from customers who wanted to buy it. That makes great business sense, doesn't it? Well, thank you, Marilyn. Thank you for the call. I do appreciate it. God bless you. It's so nice to hear from you, Marilyn. Thank you. All right, take care, darling. Where are we going next, Rich? We're going to head up to Elmsford and speak with Sean. Sean, how are you, Sean? What's on your mind this afternoon? Hi, Bo. Doing well. Uh, just a comment on Eric Adams's brother being appointed. I think I picked up on a little virtual signaling here. Now, the mayor says he doesn't trust anybody and white supremacists, and that's the reason that he's hiring his brother. Is he actually insinuating... The NYPD is a systemically racist organization that can't possibly protect them. I don't know. I don't. I, you know what? I, I have given, I've, I've heard some of the anger that has resulted from Eric Adams doing this act of nepotism. And I frankly don't care to be, I'm sorry. I know I'm supposed to care about all, it's a New York issue. It's Eric Adams. This is the way he's, I don't care that he hired his brother-in-law. It's like, so what? I don't care. You know, if, if he feels confident in having his brother look after his security detail, which is what it, pretty much he's saying that it is, and he feels confident having his family member there. Look, after this last guy, de Blasio, hands over, over millions and millions of taxpayer dollars to his wife, and the money's never seen again, and there's no accounting, and all these years later we still don't know what happened to that money. We don't know. And he, nobody, nobody is threatening his wife to find out what did you do with these millions of taxpayer dollars. You know, it's the corruption level among Democrats in New York, not just New York, but in every single blue city across this country, the stench from their corruption is unbearable. And there are times when I just say, okay, that's part of it. They can't stop us all, all the time. We have to still make a prosperous city, a prosperous environment for ourselves We have to bring New York back in spite of these people. And that's what our mission is, to make sure that New York comes back in spite of these people. And, you know, Eric Adams is going to be, you know, I understand he wants to get off on the right foot. So far, Mr. Adams, there are some things that you could be doing a lot better in terms of public perception. The first thing is, not allowing this renegade district attorney out of Manhattan to become the face of what law and order is going to be like in New York. That's his bigger problem. What is New York going to look like from the standpoint of safety, public safety, where these criminals, low lives, are not perceived as running the city with help, elected help, from the district attorney's office. 
So, Adams, you have a lot of work to do. And you better get on this quickly because once you lose the public honeymoon, once it's over and you get perceived as being a loser, it's hard to make a comeback from that. And your window is shrinking very quickly. James Golden, a.k.a. Mr. Snurtley. Back tomorrow here with you on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. We are a New York strong, New York, the greatest city in the world. And the greatest nation, America, the United States of America, that humanity has ever witnessed. God bless, protect each and every one of you and your family and your families. And we'll be back tomorrow.